It began with a telephone call from Isabella. She wanted to know where Christopher was, and I was put in the awkward position of having to tell her that I didn't know. To her, this must have sounded incredible. I didn't tell her that Christopher and I had separated six months earlier and that I hadn't spoken to her son in nearly a month. She found my inability to inform her of Christopher's whereabouts incomprehensible, and her response was withering but not entirely surprised, which somehow made matters worse. I felt both humiliated and uncomfortable, two sensations that have always characterized my relationship with Isabella and Mark. This despite Christopher often telling me I had precisely the same effect on them, that I should try not to be so reserved. It was too easily interpreted as a form of arrogance. Didn't I know, he asked, that some people found me a snob? I didn't. Our marriage was formed by the things Christopher knew and the things I did not. This was not simply a question of intellect, although in that respect Christopher again had the advantage. He was without a doubt a clever man. It was a question of things withheld, information that he had and that I did not. In short, it was a question of infidelities. Betrayal always puts one partner in the position of knowing and leaves the other in the dark. Although betrayal was not even, not necessarily, the primary reason for the failure of our marriage, it happened slowly. Even once we had agreed to separate, there were practicalities. It was no small thing dismantling the edifice of a marriage. The prospect was so daunting that I began wondering whether one or the other of us was having second thoughts. If there was hesitation buried deep within the bureaucracy, secreted in the piles of paper and online forms that we were so keen to avoid. And so it was entirely reasonable of Isabella to call me and ask what had become of Christopher. I've left three messages, she said. His mobile goes directly to voicemail, and the last time I rang it was a foreign ringtone. She pronounced the word foreign with a familiar blend of suspicion, mystification. She could not imagine any reason why her only son would wish to remove himself from her vicinity and peak. The words returned to me then, phrases spoken over the course of the marriage. You're foreign. You've always been a little foreign. She's very nice, but different to us. We don't feel as if we know you. And then finally, what she would surely say if Christopher told her that it was over between us. It's for the best, darling. In the end, she was never really one of us. Therefore, I would like to know, where exactly is my son? Immediately, my head began to throb. It had been a month since I had spoken to Christopher. Our last conversation had been on the telephone. Christopher had said that although we were clearly not going to be reconciled, he did not want to begin the process. He used that word, indicative of some continuous and ongoing thing, rather than a decisive and singular act, and of course he was right. Divorce was more organic, somehow more contingent than it initially appeared, of telling people. Could we keep it between us? I had hesitated. It wasn't that I disagreed with the sentiment. The decision was still new at that point, and I imagine Christopher felt much as I did, that we had not yet figured out how to tell the story of our separation. But I disliked the air of complicity, which felt incongruous and without purpose. Regardless, I said yes. 
Christopher, hearing the hesitation in my voice, asked me to promise. Promise that you won't tell anyone, at least for the time being. Not until we speak again. Irritated, I agreed, and then hung up. That was the last time we spoke. Now when I insisted that I did not know where Christopher was, Isabella gave a short laugh before saying, Don't be ridiculous. I spoke to Christopher three weeks ago and he told me the two of you were going to Greece. I've had such difficulty getting hold of him, and given that you are clearly here in England, I can only assume that he has gone to Greece without you. I was too confused to respond. I could not understand why Christopher would have told her that we were going to Greece together. I had not even known that he was leaving the country. She continued. He's been working very hard. I know he's there on research, and... She lowered her voice in a way that I found difficult to decipher. It might have been genuine hesitation or its mere facsimile. She was not above such manipulations. I'm worried about him. This declaration was not immediately persuasive to me, and I did not take her concern with much seriousness. Isabella believed her relationship with Christopher to be better than it was, a natural mistake for a mother to make, but one that on occasion led to outlandish behavior on her part. Once, this situation might have elicited in me a feeling of triumph. That this woman should turn to me for help in a matter concerning her son might have meant something as little as a year ago, as little as six months ago. Now, I listened mostly with trepidation as she continued. He hasn't been himself. I called to ask if the two of you... The two of you again. It was clear she knew nothing that Christopher had not confided in her. Might like to come and stay in the country, get some fresh air. That's when Christopher told me you were going to Greece, that you had a translation to finish and that he was going to do research. But now, and she gave a brief sigh of exasperation, I find that you are in London and he is not answering his phone. I don't know where Christopher is.